Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'll take you for a ride on the devil's ship. I'll take you for a ride where you sink or swim. Now come with me and let this story begin. There we go. All right, we're recording. Chris Gore. Yes. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, I would have loved to have you in person, but we're so far away. Montreal and L.A. I think you're in L.A., right? Uh, that's correct. Yes. Uh, Montreal. I, I love Canada. I grew up in Michigan. Just across the water to yeah. Windsor. I would drive my car to go see the Windsor Ballet. And when I say the Windsor Ballet, it was basically the um, bottomless strip clubs in Windsor. But so would, uh, in uh, uh, in uh, yeah. So and then uh, you the drinking age was 19. So I'd buy beer. And and I loved it. I watched the CBC growing up, so I know Mr. Dress Up, Casey and Finnegan, you know, that whole crew. And just grew up watching, uh, you know, Hockey Night in Canada. I'm a hockey fan. Why? Because, I don't know, I grew up uh, right outside of Detroit. And so was fortunate enough to watch the CBC. Just so, um, just so you know, years ago, I was so, when I was younger, uh, G4 for me was a big thing. Uh, I remember you. I remember doing the movie reviews. You were actually very, very important uh, to my kind of pop culture upbringing. And when the documentary, thank you again for sending me the screener. I saw the documentary sure. on the rise and fall and the attempted rise again. <laughs> right. Such yeah. good insight. Things I had no idea were happening. Mm-hmm. Were you guys privy to the recent, you know, the, the attempted relaunch? Were you guys privy to any of the um, kind of planning around that or was it just this group of people that got together and said look we know how to get back on top let's try it right well it was um i had nothing to do with it but i was made aware basically when the trailer dropped on the internet it kind of freaked everybody out and i was contacted by some of the people in management there saying we're gonna we're gonna do a uh, we're gonna do a reunion we're going to do a reunion of everyone from the old G4 and Attack of the Show, X-Play. And unfortunately, because of COVID at the time, uh, that didn't happen. It happened with a limited group of people. So I was not a part of that. But um, I didn't know. I mean, like, here I'm making this documentary in a vacuum. Like, yeah, that network that I was on. Like, someone should make a documentary about that. And I was at South by Southwest film festival in Austin, Texas in 2017. And the the name popped into my head, attack of the dock. I'm going to explain what happened to G4. Cause it was here five. Then it was five years name. later. Yeah. It's a good name. It's uh, you don't forget it. So, uh, so uh, then I started working on it. I was not made privy to it. It just, the announcement happened. And then that's how I found out. And then, and then, you know, it came back and it's, um, you know, what happened is what happened. But it was never my, you know, my intention was really to tell the story of that era in time, you know, back, you know, when nerds were not cool when Attack of the Show started. Nerd culture was not cool. Like, so G4 TV launched April 24th, uh, 2002. 
and I released the documentary 21 years later on the 21st anniversary of the launch. But at that time, it was still not cool to be a nerd, you know, like whether you collected comics, played a lot of video games or, you know, just engaged in any level of nerd culture. It wasn't until around 2008 that nerd culture, that was when Iron Man was released. And I thought, oh, wow, like normal people know who Iron Man is. That was a big deal because, of course, he's played by Robert yeah. Downey Jr. But, um, you know, like it, it, it kind of tracked like the rise of nerd culture and then sort of the fracturing of nerd culture, which is is in a small way what the documentary is about. There's a little thread about like, you know, I wanted to remind people of when we were just more united and we just used to celebrate stuff we loved. And now, like, I, I feel like we're, you know, the world is fractured. I think a lot, a lot due to social media. I think social media is. Yeah. Everything's contentious. Yeah. It, 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 I don't care what star Wars movie is your favorite or which one you dislike the most. That's your opinion. You know, I, I, I guess, I guess being a Gen Xer, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who questions everything. And, you know, I, I also respect other people's views and opinions. And I actually personally love to debate people, uh, anyone at a convention, if I'm waiting in line to do something at a comic convention and I'm in the vicinity of you, I will get to know you. We will become friends. I'll find, we'll find some ways we connect. And, and that just, that's just sort of organic. But I think because of online, you know, social media and being online, maybe a little too much. I think we've, we've forgotten that. And, and partially my reason for making the documentary was to remind people of an era when we all got along and we just, we debated stuff, but we weren't like upset with each other after the debate. No, there was a lot more fun back then. And you guys had introduced me to, uh, to a lot of internet culture. I learned from G4. Mm -hmm. I got it on Twitter because of G4. I thought it was ridiculous, but then I loved the Twitter wall and I got into it and it, it introduced me to so many things that are now just part of the regular everyday culture. Uh, so I, I have a real affinity, real love for G4 for everyone that was on there. Yeah, I mean, the same. I mean, I was a fan before I was on the show. So, like, I watched Tech TV. I watched X-Play. I watched sc The screen, the Screensavers that Sarah Lane was on. I loved that show. I'm like, oh, my God, they're talking about building a computer or the latest video games. I mean, it was, like, nuts. Like, this network is made for me. And then um, I got a call out of the blue to tell you how I even got the job on, on Attack of the Show, or at G4. I got a call from a guy named Gavin Purcell, who was the executive producer of Attack of the Show, or, or excuse me, of the Screensavers, and I had met him years ago, a couple years earlier, because I did a segment for him on National Enquirer TV, which I resisted doing, but he thought, oh, this guy's funny and knows his movie stuff. He could be our movie guy. So he invited me in and said, look, I'm not going to make you audition. I'm just offering you the job. You come in every Tuesday and you tell us about the latest DVDs. That's the gig. Real simple. I said to him, I said, look, I have three, three things I would like. I said, I want to be able to wear whatever I want. So I could just be comfortable being myself, right? Like I'll wear a film threat t-shirt. I said, I, I want to be able to say whatever I want within reason. I'm not going to swear or use, you know, I, I'm, I'm, but I, my opinion is my opinion. And then the third thing is I want to be able to keep all the DVDs I, I review. And he said, well, I can agree to the first two, but the last one, 
I can't. We have, to, <laughs> we have a producer's library where we keep the DVDs. I found out later that they were just, the producer just took those DVDs home for themselves. But uh, I didn't mind that. I didn't mind it because when I said buy on the DVD Tuesday segment, I meant I was buying it. I genuinely meant like, I'm going to go buy this DVD because I'm not getting a free one. But uh, while it was the least paying gig in my television career, because I'd done a bunch of TV for networks like FX and IFC and, uh, and stars before that, it's the first time I was allowed to be myself on camera you know, be comfortable just wearing t-shirt and jeans or just be comfortable. Like, here's my opinion. You don't have to like it. It's okay. And so it was a very, it was a really fun experience for me. Um, just being a part of that, you know, where I came in like once or twice a week and on occasion I was like a backup. I was literally, I was like the guy that like, if everyone's off the bridge of the enterprise, it's only checkoff. He finally gets to sit in the chair. That's me. You know, yeah. so, so it was, it was fun. And I, I wanted to make this movie, not just to give you the history of G4 and where certain things came from and have people behind the scenes, tell their stories, but also remind people of a time when we would just laugh about this stuff. You know, we, we didn't go after each other because you like something I didn't like, like, so what? So yeah, and you touched yeah. on something in the doc too. It wasn't it, also the fact that everything we do now on the internet was started there. Podcasts, the way we do them now, mm. was because of that culture that you guys had created. That that group of people created what we have now. Obviously, they created in a fun way, and now it's very hateful. But it all started from there. Yeah, it did. I mean, like, and and I even like question like some of the hatefulness. I always look at like I always look at someone that's like when they've said something online. I'm like, well, what? Did they have a bad day? Did they, were they bullied at school? You know, I always, whenever I see any sort of stuff like that online, you know, if it's really egregious and something that's awful, I just, I don't pay attention to it. I usually mute. I don't block. You got to go pretty far for me to block. But um, yeah, I always think like, well, what is happening? I think a lot of it is kids that don't even know how to talk to each other in real life, much less on the internet. And I do believe, I firmly believe this, that if we can learn to like debate respectfully on the internet, we can solve almost any problem as a, as a civilization. And if that one thing can be accomplished, because where it is, it's awful now. It's terrible. But how do we fix that? And I'm not saying, you know, I have any actual idea of how to do it. I know that if that problem is solved, then we can do remarkable things. So I have no idea how that problem can be solved, though. <laughs> the same. I don't know how, but I just want to recognize the problem. It is a problem. Like, like, how do we do that? I think part of it is empathy. You know, I always think there's a great story. Have you ever heard the story? Have you ever read the book or heard of the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People? No. It's, um one of my favorite uh, books, I like like wonky books that kind of give you advice on things. There's a really good story in that book uh, about a guy. Um, he goes on a subway with his two kids and he's in a subway car and it's late at night and the kids are being incredibly unruly, like over the top, like disturbing other people on the subway and, you know, hitting things and going around and, and being just really just terrible 
kids and the dad is just sitting there kind of ignoring them. And someone finally speaks up and says, sir, sir, can you please take control of your children? And he says, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We, we just left the hospital. Their mother passed away. So, so if you look at something from, from another perspective, you don't know what I, I always see this when I see someone get road rage or they're upset. It's like, they're not upset that I accidentally cut them off. Like, I'm sorry, that was a mistake, right? Something else is going on in someone else's life if they're that angry. And I always think about that. When I heard that story, I always think about that, whether it's like someone on the internet or someone in real life that's like having a bad day. My way of diffusing any situation is generally humor. You wouldn't survive in my family. Yeah, exactly. My, my, you would not survive in my family if you took yourself too seriously. You would not survive. We would all make fun of you. We would goof on you. There would be names. They would be delightful names. But, you know, like that's humor is my way of diffusing kind of drama or anger. But when I see people like that on the Internet, I don't I, I always think, well, what what happened to them? And it's I and I also think it's a lot of it is children, kids, like literally kids that are on Twitter that probably shouldn't be on nine, ten years old. They just said F you to this older dude. And got away with it. They've got the little anime icon, like <laughs> avatar, whatever. Like, so I always think about that and, and I'm very measured. I, I'm also, uh, I'm just a sarcastic jackass. I kind of always have been. I've kind of frozen maturity wise at like 26. I didn't yeah, really Like the mature. rest of us. Yeah, exactly. Like about 26, I'm like, eh, old. It's weird because I'll meet people younger than me that feel old. Like life has been cruel to them and they oh, have. Same. They have made the choice to be bitter and angry about their lives. And I've always been this biz- annoyingly so optimist. I've always been like the Luke Skywalker where it's like, in spite of everything, I'm going to be an optimist. We're going to get past this. We're going to get through it. And, uh, you know, that was what I wanted to remind people of with the documentary is I'm going to show you the greatest hits kind of things from attack of the show tell stories behind the scenes about those things that you never knew about. And I'm going to remind you of an era. There's this opening montage of the movie where you see like footage from like a Verizon commercial. And those are all from the early two thousands. I wanted to like take you back. It is recent history, but it's by design meant to bring you emotionally 20 years ago. How do I transport you back in time? How do I get like it, it know, did it did it felt yeah. strange watching it just remembering things and yeah. it felt like a lifetime ago. Yes, it feels I mean it is like it's 20 years ago but like wow that's um that a lot has changed in 20 years and I don't like the direction of where we're going. I mean, I kind of I always politics is always going to be divided. Nerd culture divided why? Why would nerd culture be divided ever? You know? I mean, look, I get a lot of the frustration with studios. I feel frustra- frustration, too, when you look at the movie studios. I don't really think there's certain uh, intellectual property I don't think they have the proper respect for. But I never thought in my wildest dreams. I'm a kid, right? I had newspaper routes when I was really young. I mowed lawns. I made money. Why? So I could buy comic books and Aurora model kits. Okay? I, I remember the smell of the glue. Uh, <laughs> never in my mind's eye... Did I think I would ever, as a guy, I, I, I subscribed to Marvel Comics. I read, I read the bullpen, you know, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. friends of all Marvel. You know what I'm talking about? 
all oh, that stuff. Was... Like that was like the best. Was summer was so long. It was like reading comic books, uh, riding our bikes, delivering newspapers, doing odd jobs to get money to be able to buy stuff I wanted. Like I never thought in my mind's eye that I'd ever see one Ant Man movie. The fact that there are three, three Ant Man movies is crazy. You know, and you know the what? The fact that there was an Infinity Gauntlet uh, yes! saga yes! is crazy to me. It's still we, nuts. We're we might be a little spoiled. We might be a little yeah. spoiled nerd culture where where I never in my wildest dreams thought I would see these things. I always, whenever I see a Marvel movie, I always get choked up because of the opening montage uh, where you see the 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 images from the comic books. They don't really do that anymore, unfortunately. I'm looking at that and I get a chill and I think like I read those comic books as when I was a kid, I got boxes of them here. It was my childhood. It was, it kept me sane when I'd go to school and I was bullied because I was a little runt or whatever. And it's just like, I'm thinking about, well, what would Mr. Fantastic do? What would Batman do? You know, it'd be a good person, you know, would be a good person. And fight through it. And, and yeah, and, and just get through it. And, and even to people that were cruel to me, I try to think about that and like, okay, um, handle it differently than maybe how others might handle it. But I was a legit nerd. So whenever I see that opening montage from a Marvel movie, that music plays, I get a chill and I get a little like, especially when Stan Lee was alive and he was in every movie. Yeah. You're waiting for the cameo. Dude, I, first of all, I got to know Stan Lee because crazy to me. It's crazy. I'm incredibly jealous. I, because, well, a couple things. I worked on a TV show called Who Wants to Be a Superhero? And Stan Lee was developed that. So I developed, I helped write the show Bible for a version of the show that never went forward. But um, then I got to, I became a moderator at a bunch of conventions like Dragon Con, LA Comic Con. So I've interviewed Stan Lee at a bunch of things. And normally that's something like a moderator, you know, at, a, at an event, like you get paid for that. And I was like, I don't want money. I do not want money. I want one thing. Can Stanley sign one of my comic books? So every time I did any gig involving Stan, the drill was, please just sign a comic. Boom, he'd sign it. I didn't want money from Stanley or his company. And uh, I have that collected. It's like a soft paperback, but it's like a softback. Uh, the Origins of Marvel Comics and the Son of Origins of Marvel Comics. Dude, when I was a kid, I couldn't read that more than I, it was just like, it's nuts. The fantastic four is in there. Everything like, yeah. So look, I, I, so I, I feel like I have a, an innate understanding of how nerds think about things. Um, but when I see like where we're at now, like, well, what could I do? What could I do to just point out, like point out like our, I didn't want to call anyone out the way things are now. I just wanted to remind people of the way things were then. And then you choose, you choose how to feel about that, right? Like you make a choice about how you're supposed to feel. So, you did a good job, by the way. Now that you, th- you did a very good job of just saying, this is how it was. This is how we got from point A to point B. There was never in the entire doc, like, look, it's screwed up because of this. It was just, here's what happened. There's many things you guys may have not been aware of. Like I had no idea about the merger, the acquisition, that portion of it. Mm -hmm. It, I was an outsider. So to me, that was interesting, but I never felt like anyone was being thrown under the bus. If anything, it was good insight to see how we got to where we came to. And uh, I was fascinated from beginning to end. I was excited the whole time. Well, it's the other thing I wanted to tell is like, there's no real villain 
in this story. There's not like this person destroyed the network. It's corporate culture. It's just shit that happens. It's it's yeah, it's corporate the the corporatization of everything. Whether it be an experience like going to Disney Disneyland or Disney World, it feels very corporate or our current work environments, not mine. Uh, <laughs> probably not yours, I'm going to guess. Yeah, not but, mine either. Yeah. But a lot of people work where things are becoming more and more corporate. People are afraid to speak their minds about things. Um, and I see this happening the way, you know, our governments run is increasingly more corporate, more creeping in with data about our lives. And I'm uncomfortable with that and seeing that. And so if there's anything that's really the villain of the movie is, you know, what, what killed G4, a profound lack of understanding from corporate culture, didn't understand that market and, and chose to just pivot to a different, a different channel altogether, which killed G4. But look, you know, this documentary, there wouldn't have been as much interest in it if there weren't so many fans of it. Like, the people who all worked on the documentary, my co-producer Bobby Schwartz, uh, Walter Areas, uh, Anthony Ray Bench, Philip Eubanks, uh, uh, Glenn Brown, like, they all watched G4 when they were, like, in junior high and high school. Okay. They were kids when I was doing DV Tuesday, right? So somehow this band of misfits... I end up meeting and like, all right, we're going to make, we're going to make this documentary about G4 TV and attack of the show. We're going to do it. And Bobby in particular, like he used to watch G4 in junior high, like, and now he made, so his knowledge, he knew more about certain episodes of the show than I did because I didn't watch me. Like I didn't watch, like I would watch the show, but like I'm on the show, you know, like I don't want to watch myself, but I was, I was a fan of the show. And Bobby just like, oh my God, he knew so much. Like, it was like, I felt sometimes like Shatner meeting a super Star Trek nerd in episode so-and-so. Like, he <laughs> just had an encyclopedic knowledge of of G4 and Attack of the Show. And uh, yeah, no, I just, I wanted to recapture the, that feeling of that time. Because it wasn't just the show, it was the culture surrounding the show. It was going to E3 going to CES, Consumer Electronics Show, going to Japan and seeing all the craziness there, going to things like San Diego Comic-Con and other conventions like Dragon Con. That, um... I didn't know a lot of those cons existed until you guys. Yeah, exactly. Like, G4 kind of put some of those, you know, events on the map, you know? And you don't know, like, you can just go to those. I mean, save up the money, travel, grab a ticket, you know? Go to a convention. And for the most part, uh, you know, there are conventions locally. If you look around, you'll find one. I go to, I go to a lot of local conventions. Uh, I live in Pasadena, California. And uh, it's, uh, it's I'm, I'm not too far from a lot of events like that that I love, San Diego and whatnot. But yeah, like the, the show kind of broke that and like showed people like, hey, you can just go to these things. Dude, it was... Um, also, you were the person I remember that got me to look at foreign films. I think the first time I had looked at a Japanese movie, I, I think it was you talking about, was it Ichi the Killer or a movie of the sword? Yep. And I was young. And I was like, well, what is that? Why is he talking? Because I would respect what you were saying. And then I remember going to, uh, before Best Buy came to Canada, we had Future Shop. And I remember going to Future Shop to try to find the DVD. And there was a lot of influence that I took from all of your experiences, the things that you were doing and showing us. Yeah, we did a segment uh, with a guy named Jeff Wong 
it was called Asian Underground. And that segment was like, we're going to talk about crazy Asian cinema. And it was really fun. We shot it at this DVD store that was in Venice that carried like that a wall of just like crazy movies. And so we would shoot there, we'd shoot like three, four segments and then they'd roll out like every other week. But part of my, what I tried to do with my DVD Tuesday segment was I have to review the latest, you know, Transformers movie from it's coming out. It's, you know, it's out. Like I gotta, I have to review that, but I always would sneak in like a weird indie movie or a trauma movie like Citizen Toxie or, or Poultry Geist or something weird. Like I was always like, like I wanted to educate the audience to just say, look, diversify your movie taste, right? Like we're all going to go see the dark Knight. I get it. You know, Christian Bale, uh, amazing Batman movie. We're all going to go see that. But by the way, did you know about these movies? And so I was always on every episode trying to sneak in some small little indie movie or a weird older film that maybe you weren't aware of. So I was trying to educate the audience and just get them to go, I know the video store shelf. You're looking here at the, you know, the new releases. Look down at the bottom shelf, you know, avert your gaze. I mean, now there are very few places that have shelves. There are used DVD stores. I still go to those. I, so. I still go. To, I love seeing. I like touching things practically. I like seeing DVDs. Uh, just going to a store and spending time. I miss the the. I miss the experience of the video store. I miss yes. walking around, finding a random movie that I maybe had heard of or haven't. Looking at the back, talking to people about it. I miss that entire experience. It. What's great about that experience was, and this is true for comic book stores or video stores. Um, and there was. I used to go to a Laserdisc store in Pasadena called laser library. And what's funny is when you go to those places and you see like-minded people, we're all misfits. We're at a comic book store at four in the afternoon. I'm going to grab a bite to eat, go home. And I'm going to read all these comics, but for the next two hours, I'm going to debate whoever walks in the door. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to judge your choices, but also I'm going to recommend some things. Oh, you haven't heard of this. You've got to get that Frank Miller Daredevil run. It's collected in a paperback edition, you know, like, or I'm going to do, you know, like I, you know, it doesn't take long to sit there and go and buy all the comics you want, but that's not why I went. I went there to have conversation and to meet people who I'm like-minded with, you know? So, uh, I miss that. And that's, you know, I mean, YouTube kind of does that now people talk to each other on YouTube, but that going to the, going to a store, that retail experience, you know, talking to someone behind the counter. Well, how is this? Or, you know, there's a new Spider-Man book. How's that? Like, how's the new Spider-Man? You know, I love it. And like, if the person behind the counter doesn't know someone in the store knows, like that was the collective shared experience we had when, you know, things were more offline, right? Offline. The, the, um, Paul Chato, who's Canadian actually uh, has a YouTube channel. He says it's the death of shared experiences. Fewer and fewer things we do become shared experiences, whether it's seeing, seeing a movie in the theater or concerts, like all of those things, the audience for that is shrinking. Yeah. Even shopping. Cause it's all even shopping. Yeah. You can do it online. Like, you know, I mean, what's interesting about shopping when you don't know what you want is it's random. You might find something. That's what I love about conventions. I, whenever I go to a convention, I always look for the one thing I don't need, but I must have, 
you know? <laughs> so I allow myself to get one thing when I go to a convention. Usually lately it's been comic books. I buy a lot of used comic books, but uh, yeah, I, I miss those shared experiences that tactile in person, you know, you just, you talk to a stranger, you know, that, that is also looking at comic books and you're like, well, how is the new Thor? Well, they rebooted it and did this and like, because none of us can know everything. None of us. No. None of us can know everything. And that's actually kind of the fun thing is that nerd culture, it's this collective thing where everybody has something to contribute. Everyone knows, everyone knows a little niche of nerd culture that nobody else does. They become an expert in that. And I, and I love that. Love and that. did you, because you have a literature, comics, you have a lot of interests uh, to me, obviously, you were introduced as a film critic. Did you start off thinking, "Hey, let me go into into cinema. Let me let me try to write. Let me try to make movies." Bef like, how, what was the first step that you took to get into this world as a business? Wow. Well, I made movies since I was a kid. Yeah, I got a camera when I was like nine years old and made little eight millimeter movies. Then Super Eight. I made Super Eight movies all through high school. I made a sixteen millimeter feature film when I was in college called Cool Teenager from the Planet X. It's terrible. It's pretentious. It's my college movie. Then um, I co-wrote and produced a feature called My Big Fat Independent Movie, and that came out in two thousand five. I made a short film called Red, starring Lawrence Tierney. So I've always kind of made films, but film threat's been this thing that's like, it's this collective of nerd, you know, everything, right? Like, you know, di different, because I like, I like like a just, I love independent film because I think it's more pure. It's more honest. I think that studio films can be dishonest and disingenuous. So I've always, always, always loved indie film, people like David Lynch, John Waters, Steven Soderbergh, you know, but I'm not an elitist snob. I will like the latest Marvel movie. If it's a good one, dude, I'll see it six times. You know, you're saying like, if it's a good one, has there been one recently that pissed you off? Well, there've been a lot. I really think since Endgame, I think that Marvel's been a little rudderless directionless. I'm not sure if they know, I don't know what this is leading to. I don't know. I think it might've been a mistake to get rid of Steve Rogers and, Tony Stark and to end their stories. I don't know that that was the wisest decision. They could have recast, you know, they could have rebooted. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't know that. Also, I think there's a little fatigue with like, you know, we want to see something that's new and different. I'm really looking forward to the new flash movie because Michael Keaton, Batman is in it. Yeah. The trailer, the trailer got me hyped up. It, 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 it looks fun. I love Michael Keaton as that character. I think he's done a great job. Uh, now with modern effects and Michael Keaton, I think it'll, I think it'll be stellar. I hear it's a little bit, a little bit of back to the future meets a superhero movie, which I, I can't wait to see. I like both so, those things. Yeah. Same here. So, so yeah. So, but I think lately, I think there has been like, well, I think one of the smartest things that George Lucas did after return of the Jedi was stop making star Wars. You know, he put it to rest for like years and then there was a hunger. Let's bring it back, please, George. And then, you know, we got nine movies. But, uh, you know, maybe Marvel could have done that. I don't know. I think part of the problem is, like I say, we're kind of spoiled. There are three Ant-Man movies. So all these shows, know. Disney Plus is just every second week. There's a new Marvel tie-in. Right. 
It might be too I, much. I stopped watching. Yeah, same here. I I I was not a fan of the Disney Plus shows. Um, to me, they remind me of the the pre the comics that would come in between. You know, there's like a movie that comes out, and then they do a comic of what happened before the movie. Yes, yes, that's yes. The, that's the Disney Plus shows. That's the Disney Plus shows. They're like the things that happen in between the movies that are inconsequential and don't really matter to the main story. That's a hundred percent what it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's why. That's why I don't think they're really popular. They're they're not as popular. But uh, you know, t- I really think we're living in this time of like a you know a bounty of stuff. So there's bound to be a lot more bad stuff. Uh, you know, there's more bad stuff. I I've fingers crossed for Guardians of the Galaxy three. I can't wait to see it. I'm a big fan of James Gunn and his work. I think and that's that his swan song as far as Marvel's concerned. He's done with Marvel. Now it's all DC. He's going to make a Superman movie. I, for one, cannot wait. I can't Is wait. Is it official, though? Is it going to happen? Yes, it's been announced. There's a release date announced. He has a script that's finished. He's working on it. So, Oh, this is going to be exciting. I think it's going to be really exciting. Um, you know, I'm... I, I I don't know. I have faith in James. He might be spread a little too thin. I think that's pro- the problem at Marvel right now is they've spread the brand way too thin. They're doing too much. And I, I have concerns about, you know, when they're just trying to put out too much stuff. It's like that thirst for content. Then it becomes content and not meaningful. Right. So, yeah, that's it. Since there's so much now. And you're yeah. in a good position to judge it. Uh, do you think this would be a good time to actually get uh, the band back together again under a new umbrella and work something new out? Because I feel like there was never a time that you guys as a whole unit would be more needed than right now. You're talking about G4? Yeah, but like, the, the main crew from G4. Uh, I don't know how that would happen. I mean, Olivia's a mom. Kevin's married and just not particularly, he's not an online guy. None of these things could stop them. Well, I think that what they should do is do a really simple, just what they should do is, here's what they should do. I'll put this out there to Kevin and Olivia. We should do a screening of the movie and then do a Q and a after that would be a reunion, sort of an evening. uh, We could do it at the Academy of motion picture arts and sciences costs about ten thousand dollars to do a screening there uh we could do a screening oh, I think the tickets would sell out tickets would sell out uh i think it would be it would be really cool and um it would be a chance for them to talk about it because you know they're in the documentary and they say a lot of things in the doc but it's it's this it's it's really made by fans for fans and it's the story of the network and whatnot but kevin and olivia they've they've and they've done a lot of podcasts where they talk about it i'd love to hear uh, I'd love to hear what they have to say and other people if they'd like to participate. I think that would be a really cool event. Maybe we could do that timed with the Blu-ray release. Do some big screening. Uh, that would be amazing. Would be fun. Yeah, the Blu-ray is going to come out in August. Yeah, I, I would love to see that. Uh, you know, I was hoping that the documentary would have ended with something like a reunion. That didn't happen. Um I think there was a lot of, because of the way that the new G4 launched, people assumed that Olivia would be a part of it, then she wasn't a part of it. Then, um, you know, uh, the new G4 was not like the old G4. I think people had issues with that. 
Uh, yeah, it, you know what it felt like a bit. It, it felt like just a, a store taking the name of another store, and maybe yeah. a couple of employees. But they run it like the new store, not like the old store whose name they took. So it's very. It, the, the, it, it just felt like a, like they're wearing a mask. That that's yeah. the best I could describe it. Yeah, they used the brand, but the brand, the people were the soul. The people were the brand, not just the people who were on camera, but the people who were part of the audience. And I think that there were some things that a lot of the audience felt um, they they were offended by, um, justifiably so. I don't think you ever I don't think you ever attack your audience. Um, yeah, oh, I remember if, that. That was weird. Yeah, even if the point you're making is accurate, and I would defend that, um, you know, because I worked with, you know, back in the day, the female talent on at G4 TV, there was a stalker situation with one of the female talent. This is back in like 2005. Uh, 2006 and so then it became company policy all the women who worked at the network had to be escorted to their cars by security not to oh, mention gosh. not to mention things that people said about them online so when there was the breakdown uh, you know with frost um i felt for her i really felt for her watching it i'm like oh my god like she's reacting but i think you never feed a troll never feed a troll Never, never even give them attention. Um, while she was making a very valid point, uh, you know, about women in the space, there's a better way to make the same point where the audience would have listened instead of rejected the message. And that's with humor. And that's what I yeah. think that the old G4 did. You know, Olivia Munn made mistakes on the show all the time. She just laughed at herself. She laughed herself in the movie when she, you know, talks about the Mick Hammer situation, you know, like she didn't know. Yeah, it was oh, that was amazing. <laughs> MC Hammer. It was funny. But the first thing she did when she realized she made a mistake, the very first thing Olivia did was just burst into laughter. And that tells you something about her. And I don't think that the new, the people who are on the new G4, they were not well served by, um, they were not well served by the people there that were giving them direction. I feel they needed um, a strong leader who understood nerd culture. I'm not sure if that was there. It sounded like um, they just didn't have that kind of support. So it's unfortunate. But the one thing I will defend, I'll say, you know, G4 wasn't G4 in a day. It launched April 24th, 2002. It was not good at the beginning. It was figuring its way. It took Five years before I was looked around and I'm like, I'd only been there for a couple of years. And I look around, I'm like, like I'm being recognized at grocery stores. Like people like what we do. Like this is really cool to be a part of, but it took five years of like trying this, failing, trying this, getting this collection of hosts. Olivia Munn comes in. It's a different crew. Like it's like, it, it took years to get to that point. The new G4 had less than a year. And while they made mistakes, it's not as if the old G4 didn't make mistakes. It's just that the old G4 had the runway and the time to continue to make mistakes and hone what was happening so that the, the, the chemistry between Kevin and Olivia was just crazy. Like yeah. it just, it was appointment viewing. You know, you wanted to watch it live because you didn't know what was going to happen. It was nuts. It was like after school, a lot of kids watched it. It was it was the thing to watch. That and X-Play. Huge, huge shows. So 
you know, the new G4, I feel like they needed the time. They also needed to look at the landscape. Um, now that YouTube exists, shows like yours exist, you know, like, like people can just talk about anything, comic books, movies, video games. You can go down many rabbit holes of a lot of YouTubers. Some of them have audiences of a hundred people. Some have audiences of in the millions. Okay. So what are you delivering? That's different than what you can already, than what you can already get on YouTube. What is different? So, so I feel like they had the deck stacked against them from the beginning, just to relaunch G4. It was a, it was, the brand was there. The audience wanted it and they needed maybe more time or they needed to, you know, uh, acknowledge mistakes or be cool with making mistakes and, and, you know, laughing at the mistakes and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I, it's not covered in a huge way in the documentary. Cause I feel like I really wanted to have a, uh, like, like something, like something to leave behind, like a historical document of like, this was the old G4. This is why it was a cultural milestone. This is why we're still talking about it. Uh, I didn't want to get into the negativity of the new G4 people's reaction to it. Like that was by design. I wanted to just, I like that you didn't, I like that you didn't. Cause there's no, uh, leaving the viewer with a bad taste. In yeah, this one. It, you feel good. I, you feel a little, I feel sad. Like you know what you miss, but you feel good. There are good memories that were built up and the nostalgia and, uh, leaves you in a positive light. So I, I like the fact that you didn't uh, touch on what happened with the new one. I feel like a lot of YouTubers did a better job of like covering that in exhaustive detail, which is, you know, which is their right. And that's fine. And that's, you know, uh, I mean like some of the videos are funny and it's, uh, you know, that's, that's cool. I mean, look, if you're going to, you got to have a sense of humor about yourself. If you're going to be in the public facing eye, you make a mistake, you laugh, you, 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 you step over a line, you apologize. Uh, I think that people, liked the fact that the people on the old G4 were, you know, they were, we were human. You know, I was a part of that. I made mistakes. I, God, it would kill me whenever I would like misspeak and give a different actor's name, or I couldn't think of something while I'm on camera. I spaced out like, ah, it's live TV. Like I made mistakes and what do I do? You know, I'm not going to beat myself up about it. I'm going to try to do a better job and I'm going to laugh at myself. And, and, uh, and that's kind of the, I think the best way to handle it. So, there None of are. it, uh, like the, the documentary was great. It was positive. The only, like I'm, I'm thinking back at the entire cast and crew. The only thing that shocked me recently was um, uh, when uh, Sessler was uh, like losing his mind online. It was the yeah. only thing that I didn't expect. And I attribute yeah. a lot of it to kind of what you said before of we don't know outside, like what's going on, what kind of like hate he's getting where he snapped online. But he's the only one that to me kind of broke the veil. When I saw yeah. that, I was like, Oh shit. Okay. This is different. This is not the guy I thought I was watching. Yeah. It's, um, it's unfortunate. I knew Adam back then. He was not like that. Um, he always had, I like, think the internet did it to him. I think so too. He had always had strong political opinions, but they weren't radical or weird. He'd never say anything weird. He had a segment. People forget. He had a segment on X play called Sessler's soapbox. Yeah. So, but um, I think that I know that he struggled with health issues, uh, career issues, and I don't know what's in his head. I don't know what's happening in his personal life now. Um, I, you know, so I, I, I can't say. I do know that when I see how he's 
conducted himself online, what I see is someone in pain. I see someone that's going through something and, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, sad to see. I mean, the documentary is not about him. He's in there and brief, briefly he's in there because X play was a big thing. And, um, so he's in it. I couldn't make the documentary without him not being in it to some degree, but it's not about X play. It really was focused on attack of the show because that was the sort of all inclusive pop culture beast that was the flagship show of the network. So Wait, you know what attack of the show was? It was kind of like late night, but yes. for the nerds. Well, uh, ironically, Gavin Purcell, who I told the story earlier, he hired me. Uh, Gavin Purcell was poached by NBC. Uh, Jimmy Fallon was a huge fan of attack of the show. Not only did he watch it every day, he knew who I was. He came on the set once. He goes, Oh, I know who you are. Hey, love your movie reviews. And I'm like, dude, you're Jimmy Fallon. I watch you on SNL, you know? So, and he came by to appear on a couple of episodes on a, of attack of the show. Uh, he stole Gavin Purcell, the executive producer to produce <laughs> the Jimmy Fallon show. Gavin Purcell uh, got hired by Lorne Michaels and Jimmy Fallon. He moved, he and his family moved out to New York city. And then, you know, he, he ended up becoming the executive producer of the Jimmy Fallon show, the late night show. And it did have aspects of that. Like the, anything can happen. It's live. Like, this is crazy. And I always would say like, if an idea worked, it was great. And if idea didn't work, it was also great. Because the mistakes made it fun, mainly because of the way that Kevin and Olivia reacted to the mistakes. So, yeah, if you're positive, even if it's live, if you're positive about a mistake, it just becomes part of the gag and it's fun. You just so got to go something with it. to it. Yeah, yeah, you just got to go with it. You just got to like, but because everyone had that attitude or Kevin and Olivia had that attitude, that ended up that, you know, attitude permeated everybody. Like, you could not, you could not hang if you took yourself a little too seriously. So, uh, you know, I was really happy to be able to give a little glimpse into that and whatnot, but you know, there's look, I, I, you know, I was trying to tell a story of an era when it comes to people's individual, what they think, you know, or how they are now, like that's not, not up to me to say, so, uh, have you received any feedback from, uh, the old host or the old crew after watching the full documentary and how they feel about it? Some of the crew. Yes. Not the talent yet. Not everybody yet, but everyone who's seen it really likes it. Um, I'm surprised because I, I wasn't sure how people were going to react, but, uh, but I feel like they're just now, like a lot of people didn't even know it's, it's out, it's out, it's out. It's like, yes, it's out. You can get it. It's you know, $3 on Amazon or 10 bucks to buy it. You know, I want it. It's so worth it. I, I, I I would tell people to buy it instead of like renting is good, but this is something you'd want to own. Uh, it's, it's so worth it. Yeah. I think, well, I want to also want to keep it cheap. I I, like my, I had so many like parameters I put on myself. It's like, it's going to be 90 minutes. I mean, maybe it'll be 95 minutes, but 90 minutes is the goal. It can't be longer than that. Because if you see something's 90 minutes, it always, it, it, it will actually influence a decision. If I'm going to watch a movie, if it's three Same. hours, three and a half hours or 90 minutes, I'm watching the one that's 90 minutes because if after 10 minutes, I don't like it, I can turn away. But yeah, no, by design, yeah, it's, it's, you know, like you look and it's just like, Oh, this is a short movie. I'll watch it. You know, killer clowns from outer space. Why not? It's 90 minutes. 
Love that. Yeah, you're in, you're out, you laugh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of knew, like, I wanted to keep it a certain length. It's not like, although I will say this, with the amount of footage and interview uh, interviews that I had, like 25 hours, like hundreds of hours of footage, I could have made a doc series. I literally I could have made, like, like maybe, like, you know, six 40-minute episodes or 30-minute episodes. I could have actually told, like, gone into deeper dives about certain things um, based on what I have. But, uh, no, I just want to make the documentary sort of... It's I wanted the legacy preserved because the thing that did concern me after all the stuff with the new G4 began to unfold, and people were saying so many things about G4, and I'm like, I, I, I know people who work there. You know, like, please, like, it was always really sad to see, like, you know, YouTubers who I like and who I know, like, lay into G4 and, like, that's their opinion. I'm not gonna, you know, I'll tell them how I feel about it. They could change their mind if they want. But it was really sad for me to see, like, the downward spiral of the network, knowing people I knew who worked there and seeing what happened and then see that it tarnished the you know the reputation of the old g4 the legacy and i i it was like important to me like i gotta get this documentary out like i want people to be reminded of this era and that you know there's also another thread in the doc you probably noticed the can't do that no more that's like yeah. a whole that was our biggest when we were compiling footage that was our biggest tag you can't do that no more crazy things that happened on the show like uh that was important. And when I began to hear like disparaging things about the old G4, I'm like, this needs to come out. People need to see this. It was people a different forgot time. What it was. People, people forgot what it was. And they forgot what like entertainment is supposed to be for. Right. Like I've worked all day. I just want to sit down and be entertained. Don't make me think too hard. If you know, if it's there, cool. If not, like just entertain me. And I feel like Kevin and Olivia, like, uh, they just knew they always were thinking of the audience. It was a weird thing where they were just always thinking about that guy at home on the couch or sitting at his laptop or whatever it is that person's doing, thinking about that person. I'm going to make that person laugh, but to make that person laugh. They didn't make it about themselves. They always had the audience in mind. And that, that really, you know, instructed me of like how I should conduct myself. So I felt like both Kevin and Olivia were really good leaders in that sense where we looked to them for like how to, you know, how to conduct ourselves with regard to like just crazy shit that happened or whatever. Wait, I don't know. Can I swear on the show? I don't know. Oh, of course. Yeah. What are you talking okay, about? Cool, cool. All right. But, uh, cause yeah. with all the footage that you got in, cause it came out so professional, so well, it's such a great fucking documentary. Uh, are you. you thinking of the next thing you guys want to do together as uh, your team? Oh. To maybe uh, another documentary. I already have another documentary made. Oh. I'm submitting it to. I think it's too late to submit to Toronto, but the Toronto Film Festival is in the movie. So, and but this movie could never play the Toronto Film Festival. It's way too extreme for them. Really? So, yeah, it's called Film Threat Sucks, and it's about Film Threat in the '90s. It's about. My magazine, Film Threat, the print magazine. It's all in the 80s and 90s, DIY culture. If you look up Film Threat Sucks trailer, you can see a sizzle reel we did in 2015. I've been working on this documentary for a decade. A decade. So I'm submitting that. And there's another movie I want to shoot before the end of the year. 
but I can't talk about it. It's too early, but a uh, film threat sucks. I've talked about, um, it's, uh, we're not quite to locked picture clip cut, but we're really close, but I've been working on it for 10 years. It's going to be, it's like an epic, the rise and fall of indie film through the lens of the magazine that was there. So, and you do know that Montreal has a big film festival too, right? Oh, I know. Oh, I know for sure. I used to go to the Toronto Film Festival all the time. By the way, I was banned from the Toronto Film Festival. Why? What did you do to them? I was banned. They kicked me out. So I went to the Toronto Film Festival and, you know, I was like, look, one of my favorite journalists writing for Rolling Stone was Hunter S. Thompson. Okay. Hunter S. Hunter S. Thompson, Hunter S. Thompson, Charles Bukowski. Like, I love these writers that were like drinkers and troublemakers and effed with people. And they talked a little bit about their personal experience of going to a thing, whether it was a political convention or whatever. So they I became characters of what a writer should be. Exactly. For sure. So, so I, um, so I, uh, we went to the Toronto Film Festival, myself and Paul Zimmerman. And we wrote about the parties and asked crazy questions. We made prank phone calls to other journalists that were there. I literally called up the editor of Film Quarterly magazine to ask him how often the magazine comes out. I called, <laughs> up, I called up Roger Ebert in his hotel room while we were drunk and, and said, did you order a pizza? Uh, I, and then we transcribed the phone calls. We did crazy stuff. So we were just basically being drunken assholes. So I come back and I write a story about the Toronto Film Festival. And I remember submitting for credentials the next year. And a woman, I believe her name was Monique, she was the head PR of the festival, and said, we do not want your kind covering the festival. And when I was <laughs> yeah, listening, I was, I was recording the conversation because I knew I was already kicked out. So then I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something radical here. I'm going to do something radical here. I created a completely fake movie magazine. Completely fake. In fact, wait a sec. I'll show you a pic. I'll show I got something. I have to illustrate. Let's see okay. this. So I created a magazine that the Toronto Film Festival would let me in. It's called <laughs> Film Form. Film Form, the art of the cinema. There it is. Patrick McGill. That was my business card. I you made thought of the name on the spot too. Film form, the art of the cinema. It sounds totally pretentious and the kind of um, kind of movie magazine that Toronto would love. So yeah. we, I made a fake press kit. I made business cards. I changed my name to Patrick McGill. I I drew on because I couldn't get facial hair. I drew a fake goatee. And I went to Toronto and I went to pick up my press credentials and literally wouldn't make eye contact with anyone in the press office. Then I wrote an article called Hook, Line and Sinker, How I Crashed the Toronto Film Festival. It became legendary. The national news talked about it, that we crashed it. And um, so I've never, so I since kind of buried the hatchet with them, but I don't think Tor Toronto's rejected my credentials, by the way. I don't think they like me. So um, I would have submitted to uh, Toronto this movie because the Toronto Film Festival is in the movie. We talk about the story I just told you. Um, but we're going to submit to It's crazy how pretentious Toronto has gotten in general in that whole film festival. 
It's gotten very pretentious, if you ask me. I mean, I used to know Noah Cowan back in the day. He recently passed away, uh, which is uh, tragic. But I, when I knew Noah Cowan in the 80s, Noah Cowan was this gangly, skinny kid who programmed the Midnight Movies at Toronto. He was awesome. Then he became, of course, the festival director. He worked himself all the way up. He's like the Admiral of Starfleet. But um, a lot of film festivals have become very pretentious. They forgot the roots of what indie film is. It's not always, it's not always has to make a social justice point. An indie movie can be entertaining. An indie movie can be offensive. You know, an indie movie can politically be on many sides of the spectrum. It does, you know, but indie movies, I think, are, are, um, it's always been my passion. So I do plan to submit to Sundance and South by Southwest. We'll see. But that movie will be out next year, hopefully touring film festivals. And I know that Montreal's uh, Fantasia Film Festival is a big deal. Yes, yes. I've had writers cover it. Our our writers at filmthreat.com. I mean, that's my day job is I do a movie website. Okay, it's weird. Well, I know. Check that. I'm telling you, check, check that out, though, for Montreal. It would be nice to have you here yeah. in person, and they'd love if it. They, if they invite me, I'll go there. I will go there. Uh, I would love it. I love, because I do like genre movies quite a bit. Science fiction, fantasy, horror. Um, I love documentaries, especially pop culture documentaries. So uh, there's that, mm-hmm. and there's, like, I have two more movies, and, you know, I hope that, like, I'm transitioning my career more away from film threat, more into making films, but... You know, you're making an indie movie. It's uh, there are always challenges, and certainly, you know, I faced a lot of challenges with Attack of the Dock, but uh, now it's out for you to enjoy. So I appreciate uh, it, and I I can't say enough good things about it. The way it came out, you made me excited. Now I want to know the doc on Film Threat. See how that unfolded because it, it's hard. It's sometimes you have the footage, but it's hard to put it all together. And there's some documentaries that come out, and you feel like there's something lacking. And normally, it's character. Like you feel like there's no personality. And this, from the beginning, Attack of the Dock, I was in. I was like, okay, I see what they're trying to do. They already got me feeling the way I should be feeling watching this. And I keep uh, I keep plugging into my friends. I keep saying, look, if you remember that era, watch it. Go fucking rent it. Go buy it. And there's a reason for it. I really enjoyed it. And I can't wait to see what you come up with next. Well, check out the trailer for Film Threat Sucks. That's next. And if you want to see That's Attack what I'm doing. As soon as we hang up. That's, yeah. <laughs> as soon as do we it. hang up, that's my... Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, Att- Attack of the Dock. It's on your video on-demand platforms coming to Blu-ray this summer. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Chris, it was a pleasure having you. For anyone that's watching or listening right now, everything we spoke about, the links are in the description. You don't have to think about it. Go there. Click. Easy. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.